It's great to be with you and, and look at God's Word together with you. It's a privilege to open up our new series in the book of Jonah. I'm not sure if you've read that book before. Many have heard of the book of Jonah. But um, I want to ask you to consider over the next five weeks to read it with us. It's only 48 verses long. It takes maybe 10 to 15 minutes. That's it. Now, a couple of ideas when you're sitting there with me. You can pull out your phone and go to your Version app to look at Jonah. Um, also, the chapel app. If you've downloaded the chapel app, I'm told that it will take you right to the book of Jonah, chapter 1 today. I'm not sure about that, but you can check that out. The other thing is uh, when you come in uh, at the back on the carts, we've just restocked those carts with Bibles that look just like this. And uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, take it home with you, and it is yours. Keep it. But we just want to encourage you, even when we're studying, like today and next week and the week after and so on, is to have it on your lap or your phone with you to look at it with us. And then during the week, read it and just get to know Jonah along with us, all right? That would be great. Well, let's, uh, let's start with verse 17. That's what most people think of when it comes to the story of Jonah. The Lord arranged for a great fish to come along and swallow Jonah. Can we just talk about that for a moment? Many people think this is just a children's story, a fable, a, a fairy tale. And uh, I want to address a, a little bit of that. Now, um, I, I've done some reading on this. And, and back in those days, you know, the Mediterranean Sea borders the coast of Israel. I've read, and there are other things that have been written, I know, that there were two kinds of sea creatures that could swallow a person whole. One was a white shark, but we've all seen Jaws, and we know that doesn't turn out very well. The other one is a sperm whale. This giant, look at the size of that whale compared to the person underneath. I could fit in there and cook dinner and read my paper and... Just Now, I have no idea. It was probably just a miserable experience. We'll learn more about that as we go through Jonah. But it's a possibility to live inside of a whale. I've read that. I mean, you don't come out the same way you went in. Bleached skin and all that and messed up in the head and all of that. But still, let's just say it is a possibility to have been swallowed by a sea creature like a whale. Skeptics still have a hard time with this story because of the way that verse is worded. The Lord arranged for a great fish to come and swallow Jonah. <laughs> really? That's miraculous. You know what a miracle is. A miracle is where, when, when God suspends natural law and does something supernatural. And miracles are important. This miracle is important. And, you know, if you do away with this miracle... Then, then how, do you, how do you reckon with the other miracles in the Bible? Which one do you get rid of? Do you get rid of um, dry bones coming to life? Do you get rid of the blind being made to see? Do you get rid of the Red Sea being parted? Do you get rid of the lame being made to walk? Do you get rid of the walls of Jericho come tumbling down? Do you get rid of the resurrection of Jesus, which is the most important of all miracles? As Paul said, without that, our, our faith is pointless. Miracles are important. 
I love what Eric McTaxis says about miracles. If, if miracles exist at all, they exist not for their own sake, but for us to point us towards something beyond, to someone beyond. Miracles exist to point us to God. Now, if we were to ask the average person on the street, tell me about the, the story of Jonah. What's it about? That person might say, well, it's, it's about a whale. Okay. But somebody else might say, well, it's about, it's about the life of Jonah. It's four chapters about the life of Jonah. Okay. Somebody else might say, well, it's about the prophecy of Jonah. The book of Jonah is one of the prophecy books. It's tucked in between Obadiah and Micah. <laughs> However, Jonah is very much unlike the other prophetic books in that all the other prophetic books have very much to say from God to people. But in the story of Jonah, there are only five Hebrew words that make up the one sentence of prophecy. That's it. The story of Jonah is very much about God. It's about God. I think four times the word fish appears. Nine times the word city appears, Nineveh. I think it's 18 times um, the name Jonah appears, but 38 times God appears. The story is very much about God. And more specifically, it is about the grace of God, about the goodness of God. And in fact, if we wanted to put this first chapter and maybe the whole book into one big idea, one sentence, I think we could say this, that God will do whatever it takes to bring us to himself. And we see that throughout this book. So, with that said, let's go back to the very beginning, verse 1 and 2, and, and get an idea of the call of God on Jonah's life. And it goes like this. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Jonah, son of Amittai. Jonah is mentioned one other place in the Old Testament in the book of 2 Kings during the reign of Jeroboam II. Jonah was a professional prophet. Prophets spoke for God, not just telling the future, but speaking the truth to people. I don't know where Jonah was the day he got this word from God, sitting at the breakfast table reading his paper. I don't know. But it said literally, arise, Jonah. Go to Nineveh. Meaning, now. <laughs> All of us here have had our lives turn on a dime. Maybe with some bad news or some really good news, but our lives change. And here, Jonah's life turns on a dime, and it's news that he does not receive very well because the word is, you need to go to Nineveh and announce God's judgment against it. Oh my goodness. Nineveh? Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, the arch enemy of Israel and everybody else, the most powerful nation in the world. Nineveh was perhaps the biggest city in the world. And Nineveh and Assyria were known for their brutality. I was trying to think of a modern-day equivalent several years ago in the news. All the time was ISIS. Assyria made ISIS look rather tame. Yes, they decapitated. They ripped tongues out. They did all kinds of brutal things to their 
captives. It was terrible. In fact, if you want to know more about Assyria, just go one book over past Jonah and read the prophet of Nahum. Nahum prophesied about 100 years after Jonah, and all of his book is directed toward the nation of Assyria. And you can read in there what Assyria and Nineveh was like. Yuck. And Jonah has to go and announce judgment against it. You know what it would be like? It would be like in 1941, you being told by God to go stand on a corner in Berlin announcing God's judgment against the Nazis. Something like that. Wow. Now, we all, we all at times have a Nineveh in our lives. Something where, where God has made it clear from his word or by some other means, we know that we need to do something rather uncomfortable. Maybe go somewhere we don't want to go. Maybe do something we don't want to do. Maybe stop doing something we don't want to stop. <laughs> and maybe it's dangerous or maybe it's risky. But in some way, we know it's the right thing to do. Because God has made it clear. What is that for you? What is that for me? We know what it is for Jonah. What does Jonah do? All right. Let's take a look. Verse 3. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, that verse, the easiest way to summarize that verse is with a simple diagram. God said, go east, and, jo and Jonah went west. Not just west, Jonah went as far west as the known earth could possibly allow to Tarshish. <laughs> and we're told right up front in the verse we just read, why? Because Jonah was hoping to escape from the Lord. He was running from the Lord. Now, we're not sure how much time it took him to process, like, where do I go? Tarshish or somewhere else? Or I find it interesting when I think through the, the possible reasonings he went through, the justifications he went through. To go to Tarshish. I mean, on the surface, we know that he hated the Ninevites. Some say that, that Jonah was a nationalist. In fact, some say that Jonah was a racist. Jonah might have worn a hat that said, Israel is number one. Forget everybody else. Deeper into the, into the book of Jonah, we find out that he was fearful that the Ninevites might actually repent of their sin and believe in God and worship the same God he believed in. Yuck. Or maybe deeper down, he, he thought there is no way there is no way a people like the Ninevites would respond to the message of God. There is no way. There's, not even a, there's no point in even going. Or maybe he was thinking, you know what? Let, I've had my tour of duty. Let somebody else go. Let them stand on the corner and get killed. Now I'm reaching a little bit, but, but maybe, maybe he's thinking, you know, the Ninevites will never respond to God. But I've heard some things about the, 
the people in Tarshish, the Tarshishians, I don't know if that's even a word. I'm going to go to the people in Tarshish because they'll respond to God. I'm going to be a missionary to Tarshish. That's what I'm going to do. And besides, I have much greater peace going to Tarshish than I do to Nineveh. <laughs> or maybe when he, when he got down to the port of Joppa, all along he's thinking, I'm going to go to Tarshish, I'm going to go to Tarshish. And lo and behold, there in the docks is a ship headed for Tarshish. It must be God's will. I'm going to Tarshish. All kinds of reasonings and justifications. You can, I can, we all can find ways to do the opposite of what we know God is calling us to do. How, how long does God let someone go? How far does God let someone go until he steps in and does whatever it takes <laughs> to bring that person back to himself? And we're going to read that in just a moment. And what we're going to read is this, God's response. And we are going to see that it is an ever-increasing, cascading crescendo of God's grace, all designed to bring Jonah and others to himself. So, let's take a look at how God's grace is seen in getting our attention. Here's the verse. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. I would imagine on the day they set sail, it was a nice calm day and they're just sailing along and there's some relief in Jonah's heart. I have outmaneuvered and I have outwitted God. I have escaped. Hmm. Do you remember the old Visa card commercial? It went like this. Visa, it's everywhere you want to be. I think God, that's, that's his mind. God, he's everywhere you want to be, even if you don't want him to be there. Well, he showed up, and he showed up in a violent storm, the kind of storm that wrecks boats. You know, many years ago, I worked for the Division of Watercraft in the summer times on Lake Erie, and at times we got caught in some terrible storms, and at times we saw terrible storms coming. you got to get off the lake. And maybe you, as a boater, you've been caught out there in a terrible storm, and you know what can happen. It can get your attention, <laughs> And here, God gets the attention of Jonah. Has God ever gotten your attention with a storm? I, it's a mystery to me how this happens because God is so creative in how he allows storms to come into our lives. It could be, it could be a tragedy. It could be a loss. It could be some emptiness. It could be some confusion. It could, it could be that you got caught or that you got discovered. And God in his storm is not trying to destroy. He's not trying to destroy Jonah. He's simply trying to redirect Jonah back to himself. And that's all God tries to do with us is redirect us back to himself because he's a loving gracious God. I think of the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. It talks about the, the loving discipline of a father. None of you dads want to punish your kids just to punish them. You do it to help redirect them back to what is right and good. And that's what we see here. God is doing what it takes to bring Jonah to himself. The story continues. And we see God's grace 
and using others to confront us. This is how it goes. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. He was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Let's stop there. In my mind's eye, I picture this captain. During this terrible storm, the ship is rocking back and forth, sort of making his way down the stairs, wobbling down the stairs, and he finds Jonah sound asleep. He kicks him in the shoes or rips off his blanket and says, how can you sleep at a time like this? There are other sailors up on deck fearful they're going to lose their lives. They're praying out to their gods. It's time for you to get up and pray to your God. I once heard someone say, no one sins alone. Sometimes we get caught up with the old term sin. Sin, a way to define sin is simply this, active rebellion against God or passive indifference toward God. No one sins alone. I mean, we may be alone when we disobey God, but somehow, sometimes, Somewhere, the dominoes will begin to fall and other lives will begin to be impacted because of a decision made. And that's what we see in this story. Jonah has made a decision to run from God and now other lives are being impacted. And you or I can be somewhere and we can do something that compromises what is true and good. Or we can betray Or we can deceive. And then we go to sleep, thinking this won't hurt anybody. We can be absolutely clueless. This isn't hurting anybody. But then, somebody comes along, kicks us in the shoes, pulls off the blanket. How can you sleep at a time like this? Do you not realize other lives are impacted And all of us here, we need a captain in our lives to do just that. My key captain is my wife. (laughs) How can you sleep at a time like this? Don't you realize how you sound or what you've done? Or or, or the really close friends in my life who feel the freedom to call me out. Do you have that? That's important. One of my favorite passages in the book of Proverbs, the consummate book on wisdom, it simply says this. Maybe you know it. Open rebuke is better than hidden love. The wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. (laughs) Isn't that true? Sometimes we need to hear the hard truth. Get up. How can you sleep at a time like this? People's lives are being impacted. If you go to the Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4, the entire chapter, is on the theme of unity. How do you keep unity in your marriage? How do you keep unity in the home? How do you keep unity in the church, on your team? You speak the truth, Paul says. Speak the truth in love, but speak the truth. That's the way it's done. And so, next time, somebody comes to you and says, this is what I see. 
or this is what I'm hearing, or this is what I'm being made to feel, understand this is a touch from God in your life, an effort on God's part to help you come to himself. It's a gift. We need a captain in our lives. Now, let's continue. God's grace is also seen in nudging our conscience. This is the way it goes. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, the, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. Let's stop there. Um, <clears throat> so, it's... When we read, they cast lots. That's very unfamiliar to us. It shows up about 90 times in the Old Testament, a number of times in the New Testament, this idea of casting lots. They threw sticks or whatever. The modern-day equivalent of casting lots would be like rolling dice, flipping a coin, spinning the bottle came to mind, but that just uh, it brings up different thoughts. But you get the idea. And that bottle turned and it pointed right at Jonah. The dice came up, Jonah. Hey, have you ever been somewhere and, and you know what you've done? I mean, my mind goes all the way back to elementary school days when I was afraid the principal would find out. And then I'd find, I'd be afraid. My parents both worked at the same school. That was like double jeopardy. The principal and then my parents. And your conscience is working overtime. I hope nobody finds out. I hope nobody finds out. The FBI have a motto, we always get our man. God has a motto. It comes out of the book of Numbers. It says, your sins will find you out. We, we know that's true. And Jonah's sitting there, oh no, oh no, oh no. Bam, the lots fall into his lap, busted. And they say, who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? What, what is your nationality? And at this point, Jonah could do what all of us have done at some point in our lives. It was him. <laughs> it was her. Uh, it wasn't me. He could have lied, right? But I think this is the, I think it's between verses 8 and 9. This is the point at which God begins to poke at his conscience. Have you ever had your conscience just poked? And Jonah realizes, I need to tell the truth. Okay, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord. The Lord of heavens. The one who made the sea and the land. It's me. His conscience was nudged. There's something liberating, something freeing about when our conscience comes clean. I mean, all along, he knows who he is. He's a prophet. He's a professional prophet. Spoke, speaks for God. He's not new to the faith. But he's not talked about it, and he's certainly not lived it. But now, God has poked his conscience. And I think about my own life, or maybe you think about your life. At times, I, I know what I believe. 
I'm I'm a Christ follower, but I've not said it, and I've not lived it. I have a team jersey, but I've not worn it openly. And this is evidence of God's grace again. Just nudging Jonah, nudging you and me in an effort to bring us to himself. Evidence of his grace. Now this nudging of the conscience sort of ties to the next way we see God's grace. It's seen in the power of confession. Uh, Here's what it says. And and since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. And then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for this death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. And it should say, the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Can we just leave that on the screen for a while? I'll come back to it. I think it was years ago, my wife and I went to a marriage conference. We have one coming up here. I hope you can attend. But at that marriage conference, or maybe it was on the radio, a really well, a highly trusted teaching pastor, he said that the 12 most powerful words in any relationship are these. Ready? I am sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I love you. I am sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I love you. That is a confession. It's agreeing what I did was wrong. There's something liberating about confession. Did you read his confession? Okay, it was my fault. I did it. There's something powerful about admitting what we've done is wrong, liberating. Now, Jonah does get thrown into the sea. And God has a plan for him. God has not given up on Jonah. So so there's something good that comes out of this confession for Jonah. But there's also something really good that comes out of this confession for the other sailors. Years ago, I learned this, that one of the greatest apologetics for the Christian life is the ability to admit you're wrong, to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Many people have the impression that we Christians try to act so perfectly. One of the most powerful arguments for Christianity is to be able to say, I was wrong. That's humility. It's the prince of all virtues. I want to show you what happens as a result of this humility on the part of Jonah. If you look at the the top of this screen, several times you'll read the word Lord. Now, in the Hebrew language, there are different names for God. There's El, there's there's, uh, Elohim, there's Yahweh. And the word Yahweh, which maybe you've heard, is the most relational term for God. It is the covenant name for God. And do you see what's happened here? 
in verse 14 several times now, it's referring to the Lord, to Yahweh. If you go down to verse 16 at the very bottom, a couple of times, now they are turning to the Lord. They offered sacrifices to the Lord. What a switch from back in verse 5 where they were praying to their own gods. This is a remarkable conversion story. And so, as Jonah is disappearing into the sea, the very last thing he sees is the ship headed toward Tarshish with a boat full of missionaries who are worshiping the Lord. All because of the power of confession. God's grace is seen when we confess. And it brings Jonah to himself, but it brings others to himself as well. Now, there's one last way we see the grace of God in being given another opportunity. I, I, well, let me read the verse. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and nights. I, I really, I kind of wonder how this happened. Did, did the Lord send out some type of sonar signal to this whale? and indicate at 3 o'clock in the afternoon you need to be at these coordinates to swallow up a guy that's going to flop into the water. No idea. But it's really good it happened because, one, it saved Jonah from drowning, but number two, it helped Jonah understand that God had not given up on him, that God was giving him another opportunity, that there was hope. And this is a remarkable story for all of us here. You know, as I, as I look back over my life, I can think of paths that I've gone down. I am so sorry I went down those paths. I can think of decisions I've made that are so unfortunate. Things that I've done for which I am so sorry. And I wish they had never happened. And I would imagine we are Ill, all in the same boat or out of the same boat. And it's really easy to think now I've done it. Now God's going to turn his back on me. Now I've done it. There's no way I can be forgiven. Now I've done it. God doesn't love me anymore. But this story is about God. And it's about the grace of God. And it's about God doing whatever it takes to bring us to himself. Whatever it takes to bring us to himself. And, and sometimes it might be a storm of some type. Not to be punitive, not to damage us or destroy us, but to redirect us to himself. Sometimes God will allow somebody, a friend, a family member, a coworker, to come into our lives and say, what I see is wrong, what I, what I hear is wrong, what I feel is wrong. Are you aware? Are you awake? <laughs> Sometimes God will just nudge our conscience and bring us to the point of confession. That's a good thing all designed to bring us back to himself. It could be that God will allow you to get swallowed by a whale or something crazy like that. But all designed to remind us there is hope and God has given us a new opportunity. Do you believe that? This is why we call it the gospel. It is good news. So the question is never, is God good or loving? Never. And God, eventually, Jonah didn't know it, but eventually, 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 through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, God made a way back to himself. 
and we just put our faith and trust in Jesus. So the question is never God's character. It's grace. It always eventually comes down to our choice. Am I willing to believe that and to go his way and to follow Christ? Let's pray together. As we pray, I'm going to um, read from Paul's letter to the Romans. It just seems so fitting. We've read this before. Maybe you know it, but let's make this our prayer. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, thank you for your word and for the truth of it, for the story of Jonah, which is really a story about you. Embed that in our minds that we would walk out of here knowing there is hope for all of us. And whatever that Nineveh is in our lives, give us the strength to live that way, to go your way. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.